All right, it is October 22nd, and we're back on another edition of Kentucky Politics Weekly. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Trey Watson, joined by Tom Stevens. Tom, how you doing, buddy? Living the dream, Trey. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a couple days since our last podcast, Tom. I think things just got busy. I'm on a little little, uh, little getaway for the for the weekend. Uh, by the way, Tom, I saw the worst yard sign I've ever seen. Yeah. And uh, it, it is for a dem- uh, for a Republican candidate down here, actually, uh, Madison Cawthorn uh, in the kind of eastern part of North Carolina. And, <laughs> you know, my, my rule always is, Tom, for yard signs, if you can see it, it you need to be able to read uh, two things, the last name and the office they're running for at 45 miles an hour from the opposite side of the street. And yeah. this this sign just totally failed. It, a, it's got his picture on it, which until they start printing pictures on ballots is a complete waste of your money as a candidate. Second of all, he's got like a weird, like he's got American flag logo, but then he's got an American flag background overlaid. It's, it is just, it it is unreadable. So I tweeted about it and all these Democrats in Eastern North Carolina started following me and being like, yeah, yeah, it is terrible. Glad you can see what we see. And I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm not seeing like, uh, you know, I'm not supporting. No, I think I'm just, I'm just saying he's got a terrible yard sign. It's my business. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm judging him purely from a, from an aesthetic standpoint. So they, they, one guy was like, I, I, one guy's like, I've screen capped all these. Don't even bother deleting it. I'm like, why would I delete it? I think his yard sign sucks. I've said it like it's not a delete worthy tweet. <laughs> I mean, is he a, is he a pretty guy, Trey? I mean, I, he's he's very uh, he, he is very uh, uh, I mean, he, he remember on Parks and Rec when they have the uh, the congressional candidate who's like a freaking robot. Yeah, no, but uh, but he, he, he looks like that guy. Like he's very very uh, uh ken doll looking anyway <laughs> hey, look, since, since you're in north carolina get, give us 30 seconds on that that senate race down there i'm sure you picked up some coverage on it well you, you know the thing that came out the other day was a hot mic moment between joe biden and the governor down here the governor's like yeah it's not good but we're gonna we're gonna pull him across the finish line so really no <laughs> yeah. i totally missed that wow yeah so it's uh i mean it's it's kind of it's kind of a mess for for democrats but you know, I, I think again, a, a lot of that race, I think, is going to depend on the presidential, and and it's, I think that's a that's a toss up. I think if Trump wins, a, Trump wins North Carolina, then more than likely, it means that Tillis has won the Senate seat. So, we'll uh, we'll have to see. That's, um, I mean, that's just a huge can't underscore the importance of that one with the uh, tenuous balance in the U.S. Senate. Absolutely. And speaking of the U.S. Senate, Tom, there's a new poll out this week, a Mason Dixon poll. Uh, is out it has a uh, McConnell with a nine point lead over McGrath. Um, you know, I think Mason Dixon is a little bit more uh, kind of mainstream polling than the you know, Morning Consult, who's kind of been the only one that we've really had numbers from. I don't like their polls. I, I've said it multiple times when I was at the party when it was good numbers for Bevan. I said it when it was bad numbers for Bevan. I said it. I don't like the way that they do their polling, it's a lot of internet polling going, a lot of internet. Uh, uh, reliance going on in, in the mix on. I just, I, I don't, I don't like it. I don't trust it. It's good to me. It's good for, it's good for trend lines. I trust the trend lines because they at least use the same, the same uh, uh, methodology every single time. So if you, you know, if you have five of them, you can at least look at it and, and say with some semblance of, of certitude that, you know, well, this went up or down, up or down because it was the same. Anyway, uh, Mason Dixon though uh, has McConnell up nine. The interesting numbers that I think in there are <laughs> McGrath is underwater by a pretty good margin on a fave unfave, which no, no likey. 
No. <laughs> Thir- 32, uh, 32% favorable view, 45% unfavorable. And McConnell, believe it or not, 44% fave, 43% unfave. Uh, I think when McConnell won his election in 2014, if I recall, he was at like 34, 36% unfave on election day. So you know, for, for McConnell to be above water, and he's also, by the way, I think at 52% in the poll. So with, if you're an incumbent this late in the game and you're over 50%, you're 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 in good shape yeah so what you're saying is uh, mcconnell by 18 in the general <laughs> and uh that one of the things i took away from that the herald leader that morning uh, your, your friend daniel uh derochers um i think it was his story that came out with you know uh mcconnell mcgrath race single digits or mcgrath single digit and i'm like eh, not really <laughs> it's really not yeah. that close but um you know, I guess you got to sell newspapers to, to keep the lights on. So yeah, no, and no, nobody reads a paper that says no, you know there's no new news. So um, if you uh, go go to the Courier Journal today, they have kind of a deeper dive into uh, into some more of the numbers contained in that poll, which is uh, approval ratings on Andy Bashir and Daniel Cameron. And uh, Andy Bashir, fifty three percent fave, thirty nine percent unfave. Daniel Cameron, fifty four percent fave, thirty four percent unfave. So, pretty similar numbers. Um, you know, it's not a huge surprise. I was talking to a reporter earlier today, actually, who was asking me about Cameron, and you know, I said I, I think we're living this world now where if you are willing to be as loud as you, you want to be on Twitter, then you get listened to, and so people have have kind of got a skewed view of. The, the public's thoughts of Daniel Cameron. I think most of those people that are, that are beating him up on Twitter, they probably didn't vote for him the first time. They probably were not going to vote for him the next time. They probably already had negative view of him the day he was sworn in. I, you know, I just don't think the public's opinion has changed any on him, you know, for, for Bashir, he was up in the seventies or so a couple of months ago. But <clears throat> I think if you look across the board, every single governor in every single state has seen uh, between a 20 to 30 point drop in their numbers, uh, over the last several months of the COVID crisis. So it's, you know, the, b- both of those numbers are about where I expected them to be. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the context of perhaps um, some school issues. But I, I think, um, you know, the governor benefits uh, a great deal. There really aren't a lot of people out there that are vocal critics of the governor outside of, you know, gadflies on social media. I mean, I, I don't think we've seen a super active, um, you know, the legislature is caught up in legislative races. And I think that candidly i think they probably looked at the polling data and said look this isn't this isn't a good case to make right now but i i definitely hear behind the scenes there's a lot of interest in in having conversations about you know the emergency powers and lots of conflicts that are out there and also we've run up a pretty significant iou as a state i think we're 800 million in on unemployment insurance um, loans from the federal government so you know there's there's lots of questions out there I, i think i think it will be harder to maintain 50 percent popularity ratings after after november the third but um who knows you know it's it's a lot of a lot of tough questions out there of course kentucky's in a in another spike too so what what would be the impact if we look at ratcheting up uh, restrictions again well you know i'm I have not been following the numbers as closely as I, as I had been, you know, previous, I don't think anybody's following the, the COVID numbers as closely as they had been, you know, I, I probably need to do my due diligence and, and dive in because I'm interested to see where the spike is coming from. My gut tells me it's, it's college age people, uh, you know, and, and it's kind of your 20 to 30 year old crowd who have, who have grown weary of, of complying 
and they're going out doing stuff that's getting that, that's getting themselves infected. I know uh, I've seen a couple times on Facebook where County Judge in <clears throat> down in uh, uh, Garrett County has been posting kind of where the cases are coming from, and it's 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 twenty year olds, you know, tw- people in their in their twenties. Um, you know, so I think we're having a spike, but I also think the numbers are coming from a different place than where our original spike came from. And and honestly, I, I don't know what to do with that from a you know util- utilization of data standpoint. But it, it's that seems to be what's occurring. I know the CDC has kind of come out and said that what's where you see the death rates coming up is where uh, the the spike is occurring among younger people, and then they're taking it to to older people, and and fewer older people are are getting it, but the people that are getting it tend to be old, older and sicker previously. And, and that's where you see the death rate coming from. So, you know, again, as with all things COVID, it's just, it's hard to know anything with these numbers because every organization has a different set of numbers that you're getting them from different places. They're getting them at different times. It's hard to know. It's, it's hard to make policy decisions based on these numbers because we just <laughs> get, they're all real, but you don't know, you know, where on the timeline you're, you're looking at on any particular data set. Yeah, it's. I don't. I don't know. I've got some things I could add, but I, I think I'll hold off. People probably got enough COVID. Yes. Such, it's so pervasive and overwhelming all the time. And as you <laughs> said, we're going to get back to some school talk here at the end of the at the end of the news <laughs> segment. Um, Tom, uh, as we always say, is the attorney on the show. Uh, care to share your thoughts on the judge's decision to uh, kind of ungag the grand jury members up in Louisville? Well, they'd sort of. I mean, at some level, right? They'd ungag themselves. It, Interesting takeaway. There was some language in the order that the judge issued basically saying, or I took it as, you know, be careful what you ask for here, because once you go and if you acknowledge that this is you, you're sort of opening yourself up in this public forum to, to have a response to it. And then, of course, what's happened, unless unless something has changed, uh, the information from this grand juror that's been made public was information that has um, um, uh the information uh, is just, it's been established through the attorney that this was a juror and presumably Cameron would have said something if there wasn't, but I mean, there, there's no cross-examination. I mean, it's, it's strictly hearsay. It's a single individual's opinion about what happened in light of the fact that we've already had all of the testimony turned over in the transcripts. So, I mean, it's kind of like fanning this thing. It's unheralded and I, I don't necessarily know what good comes from it. You know, this juror doesn't have any legal liability or, um, you know, should it turn around and decide to charge uh, police officers with crimes that it's legally impossible for them to be convicted of? Um, you know, it's just it's such a such a stupid time. I mean, that, um, what do you think, Trey? Well, I mean, that, that's that's my issue, too, Don, is is well, first of all, it's, it's kind of when, when you're allowed to do these things in, in the media, we'll cover them as as anonymous sources. You know, you're, you're basically letting somebody do a drive-by character assassination here with, with no consequences, no ability to to retort. Um, but more importantly, I think, you know, regardless of the of the frustration of the grand jury, the, the frustration of the family, I, I've said multiple times, the, I think the worst case scenario, the, the, the worser case scenario than, than where we're at would have been had, you know, yes, could, could Daniel Cameron have gotten uh have gotten indictments for murder or manslaughter or something yes absolutely could he have sustained those charges and gotten a a conviction in court i don't know and i think the worst outcome would have been getting the indictment and not winning at court and then you end up in a freddie gray situation like happened in 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 baltimore with with yet another round of, of potentially even more 
uh, even angrier levels of, of riots and, and, and issues and unrest. And I just, you know, what, what would at that point, what, what, what would, what would have been accomplished? You know, I, I get the sense that they didn't feel like it was a slam dunk case. And so they went with what they knew they could get a conviction on because the other, the other path would have, would have been just as bad to have, have an indictment, but no conviction. If you don't have the prima facie elements of the criminal case, it would be criminal on the part of the prosecutors to bring additional charges. I don't, the whole thing is, you know, and and the idea that you can do this to your point on drive-by, I mean, if you don't have any opportunity to cross-examine the guy now, so what? The guy's not even telling guy or gal, whoever the, the unnamed juror is. I mean, it's, so I'm an unnamed juror. I don't say who I am, so I don't have any of the repercussions of it. I can just say whatever I want now. Right. Um, well, and, and again, you know, you, you're, you got to ask, are you seeking justice or vengeance at some point? And, you know, I think everybody knows a wrong was committed. And the question is, you know, do you, do you want the vengeance or do you want, or do you want justice or do you want change to stop it from happening in the future? You know, it's, it's a question of what you want. I feel like a lot of people are still, are still in the, in the depths of dealing with what happened and not haven't really moved through the, through the mental process of, of, uh, you know, what, what do you need? What, what do you, what's going to be required of you emotionally, mentally to get, to get through it. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a mess. That's, that's one thing we can say about it. Um, Tom tonight, Speaking of messes, uh, there's another presidential debate tonight. <laughs> I was just practicing my uh, mute button over here, actually. I, I mean, I, I think it'd be great if you had like if you had somebody with with a with a big like uh, member on when when who wants to be a millionaire came out and they would have like the spotlight like in the spotlights at all focus on the one person. If like when when somebody was gonna press the mute button, it would like focus on somebody in a in a glass booth and just have a giant red mute button to slam. I mean, I think Biden would like to have the phone a friend, maybe the 50 50. Yeah. yeah. There's like three options you used to get on that show. Um, you know, it's, this is supposed to be traditionally, this would have been a foreign policy debate. It seems like they have kind of gone away from that. Um, it's going to be kind of general issues that not most of which were dealt with in the first debate. So, it, I mean, what's, I don't understand the point of having another debate other than the fact that I, I don't. You know, I'm one of the few people who was very entertained and enjoyed the first debate because I thought it was it was just a glorious mess. But, uh, you know, it's 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 going to be a mess again. They're going to it's just going to be bickering. Uh, 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 why, why put the American people through this other than we have a commission on presidential debates, so they need to do their thing. Well, now, the I mean, the commission's under some pressure, right? I mean, there's definitely from the right. I mean, there's been a lot of complaints against uh, how the debates have come out and then the cancellation of the second debate. I think it'll be interesting to see how effective they are in administering the mute button. I mean, if depending on how this goes, honestly, I, I, I've, I've shared, I think that um, the polling data, you know, represents that Biden is definitely in the catbird seat. I think this is really one of his last chances to screw it up. Yeah, um, the I, more that Biden absolutely. talks, I think the more at risk he is. Absolutely, you know, the president, Trump's numbers have have risen, but they've risen about to where they were before the first debate and before his his COVID diagnosis. He's we're kind of back to 
back to that point. And so the question is now, you know, in most debates that Trump has had since he stepped into politics, he, he's actually lost a little bit of ground after every debate. So <laughs> it's it's interesting to see, you know, it'll be interesting to see if what happens there. And like you said, Biden, I mean, I've always thought if if you're Trump, you got to you got to get Biden talking. You got to get Biden to try to, to, to get into one upsmanship on stories. You know, we, we, he needs some more corn pop stories in there um, that, that are just so flagrantly stupidly false that he looks like a buffoon. Uh, you know, if I'm Trump, I'm trying to goad those stories out of him. And if I'm Biden, like I said before the first debate, I'd give one word answers and then, ter- you know, yield the rest of my time to Trump. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you want Trump to keep talking it. So uh, it, it'll be, it'd be interesting to see strategy wise, how these guys have prepped and what they come out wanting to do. And it, it, especially in the, in the, in the beginning of the debate, um, who's, who's you know, what? campaign chair, Trey. Oh, hell, I have no idea. Oh, neither. I was thinking, like, you know, can you imagine, like, the terror they've got to have sending him out on stage there at the end of the night? Just like, oh, please, please, dear Lord, Jesus, don't say anything stupid. You know, what? One, one thing I didn't have on our list to talk about that we probably should, Tom, you, you brought up uh, exactly how they'll use the mute button. But, you know, Twitter and Facebook have been in some some trouble this week over the way that they've used their their mute button, the way that they've killed stories and you know, i'm torn tom first of all you know twitter has become such especially twitter and in regards to how the media themselves uses it the media is so obsessed they're they're more twitter obsessed than any of the rest of the population they that's all the press does is just sit on twitter all day if you want to get the press to notice something just tweet tweet at them and tag them in it they'll they'll, they'll figure it out um so you know it it, it how I don't know how to justify the stupidity of Twitter to step wade into this fight over the New York Post story and start banning it and banning the links and banning the sharing and suspending accounts who had shared it versus Twitter at the end of the day, Tom, is a publicly traded company. It, it, is, it is a corporation. You, when you join Twitter, you sign a thing that says they're allowed to, to remove, ban, you know, whatever they want. It, they, they own the platform. You know, this is not an FCC situation where, they're they're borrowing the airwaves from the federal government. There, there's no there is no expectation to the free, freedom of speech on Twitter. Your your speech is as free as the is is the corporation Twitter deems it to be. And as a Republican, Tom, I have a hard time stepping in and telling a company how to, how to how to run their business. Well, I guess that's the question. Have they gotten because of the unique situation, the role that they're in, have they gotten so big that they are bigger than the sum of, they aren't just a company anymore. They have become an entire medium. So but, but, but I think but, but then do, do, we, week, do we have government step in and try to set, set up rules for them? I just, I, well, that, maybe. So like this <laughs> is one of the things you've seen, uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, Department of Justice has filed an antitrust lawsuit against Google. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of parallels to this. I believe that Kentucky is one of the 11 or 12 states that have signed on to that lawsuit and that we are participating in it um, because, you know, it's they are able to harvest an extraordinary amount of data. And, you know, they're, they're selling you with your consent, kind of. I don't know. Um, I, I think that this is uh, there's going to be just lots and lots of development in this area of the law and, and that would be one to watch as sort of an indicator because if so i mean is our facebook and twitter the next steps i have read where zuckerberg has gotten much more active trying to engage with um, um you know kind of uh, center right members of the right and try to to do a better job of of being perceived as 
I don't know, moderate or bipartisan versus sort of sort of left leaning, uh, which, you know, from a, from a business standpoint, I think that that's a that's a smart move policy wise. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're selling a product to Republicans versus conservatives. You don't want to, you know, the worst thing if I'm Facebook or Twitter is to create a situation where, you know, parlor that fiasco mess of a social media platform that like, you know, all of a sudden you got like the Republican Twitter and the Democrat Twitter, the Republican Facebook and the Democrat Facebook. And, you know, now it's, you know, if again, if I'm a company that that I don't want that, I want to sell my product to everybody. I think I saw this leak this week where is it Instagram has now they're, they're cross pollinating their platform with more of Facebook and something else. So you see like an example where, you know, Facebook bought Instagram and, you know, gradually is a, you know, it's just, man, it's a lot of, lot of data mining there. Yep. And yep. data is incredibly valuable. I can tell you that working in campaigns, you, you, you pay a lot for it. Um, and that, by the way, that's, that is not at all to Bless say. Bless your Allison Grimes, ladies and gentlemen. No. Yeah. <laughs> that is not at all to say, by the way, that I believe the Hunter Biden story. Uh, I don't not believe it, but man, the, the, uh, the chain of custody on the evidence is a little, a uh, little, little suspect. You know, you see Rudy out there running around. It just, just, it is, it's a lot. And we, we, I, I don't even want to get into the whole Borat thing. It's, that's. <laughs> I don't, I haven't followed any of that. Uh, that's ridiculous. Um, Tom, an issue we talked about a couple, a couple times the show here. Uh, surprise medical billing is, looks like it's getting, there's a proposal in the House, between the House Energy and Commerce and the Senate Help uh, Committee uh, to kind of come in and, and, this is another one of the situations where it's conservative. I got, I got an issue with what kind of the, the deal that attempt, it looks like maybe being struck. They're basically, they're trying to, so there's two, we saw a lot of ads before COVID on TV. If, if you watch Fox News or any of the cable news shows, there was a ton of ads on on policy ads about surprise medical billing. You know, this is like people who who are very seriously ill or injured and need a helicopter lift to the, to the hospital or whatever. And they also think get a bill and the helicopter company charges like 45 grand or something, you know, they needed that helicopter Personally, ride. It happened with, with family members. Yeah. They needed that helicopter ride, but at the same time, like, you know, <laughs> how was, how was that an appropriate amount to charge for that? Like, so there's two schools of thought here. One is the government comes in and sets rates. I don't like that. I'm a conservative. You know, that's just the government shouldn't be setting rates for a, a contract or, or an exchange between uh, private parties. The hey, other government I, is so effective at, at creating uh, awesome competition at and innovation in the marketplace. They're awesome. How at would it. you not want to have government involved with something like healthcare? <laughs> the other proposal is, is arbitration. Basically the word you would, if there was an issue with the billing, you'd go in and, and you'd go to an arbiter and, one side could say, well, you know, cost is this much, this much, that much. And this is why we charge it. The other guy side could say, well, we don't think that the service has worked that much. Here's why. And the arbiter come down and say, all right, well, here's, here's what the, we're going to settle on a billing. So the proposal is like a weird kind of sort of arbitration, but not really. <laughs> like they're, they're, they're going to consider median in network rates when making judgments on the arbitration. So like, Basically, the rates that you've already set become what you're setting judgments on, not the actual value of the service. Uh, estimates I'm seeing say that CBOs said that this would cut about uh, be about a 20% pay cut for doctors and hospitals. Going to look at more uh, more doctor shortages, more hospitals closing. It's just like why, why can't we why can't we just get government out of the middle of this thing and let just say say this is bad. 
and we're gonna we're gonna let we're gonna make you guys go to arbitration to settle settle the score here. I mean, it 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 makes sense from a business standpoint. It makes sense from a policy standpoint. It gets the government out of the middle of it. I I don't understand this proposal that that the that the Senate and the House are floating out there. Yeah, it's it's an interesting idea, Trey. I know in talking to um, healthcare practitioners in my former role. Um, you know, the amount of staff that they have devoted to administrative functioning, just billing, uh, you know, it can be it can be between a half and a quarter of their entire office is devoted to those types of back of house process, which costs additional money for everybody. And then you have a situation where you really, you know, it's a small business owner in many cases is what a, a medical practice is. And then you look at the time that it takes for them to get paid. If this is something that would help speed that up and facilitate it, I, I think it might be one of those unique places where there's a kind of an interesting middle ground that has uh, this something that should be flushed out. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll see as that moves forward. You know, nothing, none of, nothing's going to get fixed until the lame duck, and even then, uh, you know, it, it might even get punted till next year. It, it'd be interesting to see what that, that comes down. But I, I hope the conservatives in the Senate will throw a fit that, you know, they're putting the government in the middle of this thing. Um, Let's see here. UK, Tom, uh, have we ever seen a UK football team where their defense is this good and the offense is this wretched? <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, what, what's, what's your take on Terry Wilson right now? He's just, he's not playing very good. I don't know if he's being timid because he's because of the injury. I mean, that, you know, that happens to a lot of guys you get a little bit, of, get a little bit gun shy. Um, I don't know if the offensive plays aren't being called to allow him to do stuff. Um, I can say one thing. It is very clear to me that the, you know, we, ha- we're, we're, we have one of the top offensive lines in the country. I think the, the pro scouts have graded our offensive line and Notre Dame is the only two that grade out at 80 plus. So top, top two in the country offensive line. We're throwing the ball way too, like we have good running backs too, but I, I, I think that the offensive uh, play callers, you know, AJ Rose had that one stupid mistake where he got caught showboating and, and, and got torn down. And then, and then we had the fumble and, you know, you could probably blame the whole Mississippi Ole Miss loss on that, on that one play, but he's, he's had fumble problems before. Uh, Cavassia smokes out hurt. I, I think there's a lack of faith on the running backs to be able to hold on to the ball. And then, but then at the same time, they're just calling these little dink and ducks for Wilson. They're not letting him, you know, he's, he's not getting a look downfield. It's, it's, it's confounding as to what they're doing on the play calling on the offensive side. Well, meanwhile, meanwhile, the defense, the defense outscored the offense 14 to three in the first half last game. Yeah. I, I don't think that, um, I don't think the offense is that bad. I mean, I think they've maybe had some issues where they haven't gotten on the field as much as they'd like to, just because of the way that, you know, the turnovers cost them. Uh, I don't think we had anywhere near the number of offensive possessions in the last game as, uh, uh, who the uh, Tennessee did that the, the um, I, I think that this is, is a little bit of a trap game this week. I mean, we could have been in a situation where we were going into a seven o'clock at night game at home against Georgia who just got beat by Alabama. I mean, I, I think a tough, tough game for them, even just physically, you know, haven't, haven't gone through that. And now we're going into a day game at Mizzou um, on the road. I, Man, I, Kentucky got hosed on that deal. I, I don't know though, because it means we're also also means we're not getting a Georgia team who's pissed off because they got beat and coming out looking to stomp a mud hole in somebody. So, yeah, you know, I, I think it's one half dozen the other there. I also had tickets to the the Georgia game. <laughs> ah, that's why we're angry. <clears throat> Which is now, of course, on I think it's on Halloween Day, and it's been moved up to is it a nooner? 
Uh, I, th- I think that's eh, something like that. Um, the uh, looks like the nomination of Amy uh, Barrett's going to go through today, at least from the committee. I think I think it went went yep. through already. Um, the s- Democrats in the Senate, of course, threw a hissy fit, you know. But I mean, there's it's fait accompli. There was <laughs> there was nothing they could do to stop it. So, so this is one thing I, I want to bring up because I, I just from the standpoint of the process and where we find ourselves. And I don't, I don't really get, I don't think too crazy partisan on here, but um, I really feel like so much of what's happened with the Supreme Court process really lies at the feet of the Democratic Party going back. I mean, the stuff that happened with Bork, the stuff that happened with Thomas, the stuff that's happened with Kavanaugh, and and, and really changing the rules in the, the Senate, which has resulted in all this stuff just being forced that, you know, Harry Reid made that change, Schumer, and I think it's really been forced down their throat by McConnell, uh, you know, 300 and something judges, whatever the number is, three Supreme Court justices. But I sit and watch this and something really aggravated me. So the Twitter universe blew up this week, apparently after uh, after the committee hearing, when I believe it was Diane Feinstein went up to um, uh, chairman of the committee, uh, uh, what's the gentleman from South Carolina? Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, and congratulated him on the hearing. And yeah, I, what I took is just basically perfunctory comments that you would say two colleagues in the context of something. You know, they're definitely doing battle with one another. They disagree but on she, policy. She, whatever. She, else. she said the hearings were were well run. It made no comment on the propriety of the hearings, whether they should have occurred. You know, or her thought on on the nominee. She just she just said. Matt, very matter of factly, that the that the hearings themselves, from a functional standpoint, were, were well run. I believe. Did she give him a hug as well? I believe so. Out? Yes. All right. Now again, isn't this kind of what all of us at some level want—the opportunity for our government to function, um, which requires a certain level of cooperation? I look. I Dan Feinstein may be the seventh circle of hell. I'm sure there are probably very few things we agree on. She. Guys, she's also an 87-year-old. She's 87 years old. I, I mean, that is stunning to be in that role. Absolutely extraordinary. And she hugged the committee chair and said, you know, basically a throwaway, hey, this was a, you know, process was run, barely run, well, whatever. And we've lost our mind. Oh, insane. The, the left is gone insane on her. They wanted her to resign. She's too old to be there. She's got to get out. Oh, I mean, even, and, if you and, miss the coverage on that, I mean, this is everything that's wrong. And by the way, Senate Democrats have left her out to, ha- to, to hang yeah. on it. But like, yeah. they're not defending her. Why? Honestly, I. They, 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 they want a return to normalcy and a return to to a previous time where everybody got along and, and, and we argued issues and that's it. Yet at the same time, they're going to do this. It, it, they, what they don't actually want, want what they claim. What they want is they want Republicans to be in the minority and to kowtow to everything that they want. And then they can say, oh, well, we worked bipartisan. See, look, we had a Republican with us. And <laughs> if Republicans, if it's a Republican thing and, and it's, it, functions this way then it's bad if it's a democrat thing and it functions this way it's good it, it's just it, they're they're just as, as bad as the people that they, that they attack it's there's there's no you know it's they're the flip side of the same coin here i just i think it's absurd i look back at how i would have voted on the 
the Democratic uh, Supreme Court nominees that have that have been over the last or the last two or three. I mean, from the standpoint of meeting the minimum qualifications of the position, from the standpoint of being legally uh, uh, nominated by President of the United States. I mean, they meet the minimum qualifications. They get the job. And, I mean, that's the that's system. the job of the Senate. Is the system will work better with that level of oversight. Anyway, anyway let's. I let's, thought that was telling. Let's where get we to, find ourselves. Well, let's get to our last issue. I want to get to here, Tom. It might take a little bit of time. <laughs> the, Fayette, the Fayette County Public School Board had a meeting last night, Tom, where they decided to punt on their all of like what three and a half four week old plan developments the hybrid for, for a for a for going back to hybrid schooling for those of you who are unaware the this is the idea that you would have uh kids back in school in person for a certain number of days per week and online for a certain number of days per week and they'd be split up or you'd kind of be going in shifts we could have smaller class sizes more social distancing yada 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 um <laughs> they had polling. Uh, my wife and I both filled out the survey. A lot of people, it would seem, in Fayette County, filled out the survey, um, asking your, your wife, Trey. Uh, what 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 does she do professionally? Uh, she she's in the medical field. Um, so yes. you know, she's got some has some know, background. Both both is is you know, we're parents and we have a familial background in the medical field. The survey came back. This is reading directly from the email that uh, the. The school superintendent, uh, Manny Cox, sent out after uh, the meeting. Uh, by the way, I love he sends all of his emails. This this email came out at 12.02 a.m. Um, every email you get from Manny Cox, you get uh, sometime between the hours of 11 uh, p.m. and 2 o'clock a.m. Um, uh, reading it again directly in the email, over 82% of staff and families indicated a preference to return to in-person instruction, while 18% expressed the desire to continue with remote learning. 82%, Tom, of the families and staff polled want these kids back in school, want these kids back in in-person learning. And the board basically said, well, I, yeah, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. I, I have so many issues with this. First of all, you know, something we've talked about many times in the podcast, Tom, they are continuing to treat high school seniors and first graders and kindergartners the same, which is not only stupid, but unacceptable. And there's a reason for that, Tom. It requires actual effort and mental exertion to come up with a plan that would treat certain grade students different than other grade students. Mm -hmm. The Fayette County School Board can be described as no other way than lazy. They are lazy. They do not. They, they didn't even start planning, Tom. The meeting they had in September should have been held in like March or April or May. They didn't even start coming up with the remote idea that they might need to have a plan for something until September. And they worked on it for like three or four weeks and said, ah, this is just too hard. Let's let's just let's just start planning for full in-person, which we'll return to in January. Um, Tom, uh, let me give you a, a look in the future. That ain't <laughs> that ain't going to happen either. <laughs> So tell me this, Trey. Have you picked out what your signs are going to look like yet? <laughs> uh, listen, man. I definitely saw last night. I mean, I, I thought I saw a hint that you have you are willing to take the leap and put yourself out do there. Do I run, want? To, do I broad. want to run for school board? No, I've always said you. you, you there, oh, it's you, you, total you, nightmare. There is there is nothing I would like any less than serving at any level of local elected office. However, 
that being said, there comes a point in time where if you're going to run your mouth enough about something, then you got to put up or shut up. And if I, I would much prefer for someone qual- well qualified who shares uh, similar ideas on uh, where we need to go with public ed- education, I'd much rather prefer they get in and I'd be happy to help uh, raise money, uh, organize a campaign, uh, advise on a, on a uh, strategic level. I'd love to do that. But if, if, but if there's not what I view as a viable option, would I run against board chairwoman, Stephanie Spires, who is my member? Absolutely. She needs to go. She needs to go, Tom. She spent the entire summer freaking buying a house. She could have, she could have been doing work. She didn't. Let's talk platform. I mean, so if you, you, why don't you give me like first bullet point? I mean, what is the number one thing you want to see? I mean, the first bullet point is they need to stop worrying so much. I mean, they are charged with educating children. That is the only reason that a school board or schools exist are to educate children. This is not a job creation platform. This is not some sort of social engineering thing. Their job is to educate children. And they are putting, seem to be putting many, many other things ahead of that. Here's my question, Tom. If it is not safe for first graders to be learning socially distanced in a classroom, then how in the hell is it safe to be playing football or basketball or soccer or any of these sports that are allowed, being allowed to continue? You well, know, there you, are you, some inconsistencies there. I've, I've heard where, um, you know, there are some concerns out there that the governor may shut these things down because of the increases later. I, it, it, <laughs> you can't people have, go insane. The, 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 but, but at the same time, Tom, again, the goal, the, the role of the school board is not an athletics association. They're, they're, they're not, they're not a rec league. The school board exists to educate, provide education to children. They're failing at that. They're putting other things ahead of their central role, which is education. They're putting they're putting the, the, the thoughts of a very, what appear based on poll, their own polling, uh, a very small minority of uh, uh, of staff. Tom, remind me, uh, is that staff in any way, shape, or form represented by a professional organization? Uh, many are, yes. Uh, yes they're maybe. probably our strongest um, organized labor organization. The state of Kentucky is um, uh, it's the, the Teachers Association, the, the KEA. Yes. Many would be members of the KEA who have, uh, in other states, Tom, uh, your your uh your public teachers associations are already calling for a complete abandonment of in-person schooling until the until august of 21 at the earliest so you know i think somebody needs to ask kea is that where they're heading if if they're standing this strong i mean because this has become from somewhere if the teacher if if rank and file teachers want to start up and parents want to start up then who is it that's applying pressure to the school board to not do it I think the answer can only come from two directions, Tom. I think it's the governor's office and I think it's the KEA who let's face it, owns the governor's office. So, you know, well, and we I, have seen opening, right? I mean, we're, we're kind of talking about outliers. You're at about 130 of 170 uh, school systems in the state of Kentucky. That's County and independent school systems, about 130 roughly of, of 170 are, are open currently. It, 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 some level, whether it's whether it's full on in person or, or it's a hybrid system, uh, the the two most notable who are not are Fayette Jefferson. Now those are 
two largest areas, the two areas where uh, you know getting the virus under control is uh, probably the hardest. However, when you look at numbers coming out of New York City, which by the way is open for in-person schooling, uh, New York City out of uh, I think it's like ten thousand something tests had like I think eight cases, ten cases, something like that. You know, it, it's it, the, the fear that this virus is spreading in the schools is simply not bared out by the data. This is purely fear mongering and placating a teachers union who, let's face it, is run by to be able to be around long enough to rise through the ranks of teachers union. It's run by primarily teachers who are in a more at risk uh, area. And, you know, I, I don't want this to come off as if I am bashing teachers. I'm not because teachers I've talked to. Tom, I know teachers you've talked to are just as frustrated as, as, as us parents. This is not about teachers failing kids. This is about administrators failing everyone. This is a failure of the school board. It is a failure of Manny Calk. It is a failure of the governor. It is a failure of the Kentucky Teachers Association, the KEA. It is a failure of administrators. It is not a failure of parents. It is not a failure of teachers. It is a failure of administrators. And guess what, Tom? We can replace those administrators. Uh, you know, none of the current incumbent school board members who are up for election this year are running for re-election. Uh, and then the rest of the school board is up is up in 2022, where including including the the, the board chair Stephanie Spires. Uh, you know, we'll have some new board members. Uh, I've been led to believe that perhaps we would have a new chair when a lot of those new board members are elected. Um, that they might vote for for another individual as, as the chairperson. Um, I don't think that that will change that much because you still have Manny Cock there. You get to I mean you get to remove him. He seems to not be taking his orders from parents or teachers. He's taking them from Frankfurt, and it is causing a tremendous amount of pain for for families. You know, we're uh, I'm in a fortunate family situation where a I have a son who's who's who does who does well and he's able to cope and adjust. Many other families don't, whether they have special needs children, whether they are on the lower income spectrum and don't have access to great Internet. Um, you know, you can't stay at home all day and monitor them to make sure they're doing the work. It's it, this is an untenable situation. And Tom, we're going to lose a generation of kids and be dealing with 50 to 60 years of societal problems based on the decisions that this board is making right now. Well, I think you hit on an interesting point. I mean, it. Um, you know, you're you're in. Uh, successful um, white collar positions. Um, I've made certain decisions with respect to uh, how my daughter is educated and it would strike me as the group that's impacted most negatively by this have to be lower income families that don't have the resources. They don't have high speed wireless. They don't have um, you know, the ability perhaps to, to easily stay home. To, Brian Station Brian process. Station still has several hundred students who they've not been able to secure uh, uh, laptops for, secure Chromebooks for. And, that, you know, that's that's probably our our most uh, in need uh, public school at the high school level. So I, I talked to a friend yesterday um, who is a high school teacher here in Fayette County. One of the things that she shared with me is so she's she's doing it's, it was a rough day yesterday. It's, it was her Zoom day or whichever technology they use that has all the kids on at the, she has these large blocks of kids that are on at the same time. And one of the things she is not allowed to inquire about, she just has the, the, the it doesn't have the video. She just has like the, the name, you know, like Bob Smith or whatever it is under it. And they're not allowed to ask for the video to be turned on. And she says, it's, it's really, it's so sad because you'll get to the end of a lesson 
and there'll be all these names that are left on the screen because they're not there. They're not actively participating in the class. They're not getting anything out of it. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it is, it's a tragedy. Um, but I, I candidly try, I, I, at some point, I think you're going to have to make a really difficult decision about a, you know, kind of short term, medium term, long term. We, you want to change the trajectory of the, the Titanic and you're sitting there with a, you know, like a, a 12 inch paper ruler trying to use it as a, as a, a rudder to steer the thing around the iceberg. I mean, in the short run, you got to make decisions that are best, best for your family. I, I certainly, that was the discussion here. Well, I, I'm not, I'm, I have absolutely zero faith in waiting around for uh, public officials here to do what needed to be done months ago. Again, the, the most, the most disturbing thing to me about this is it is purely driven by laziness. They didn't do any work over the summer. And they, you know, it's it's like the guy who the the kid who woke up and realized he had a book report due today, and now they're now they're cramming to read the book and and, and write the report. And you know, you can't, you can't you, you can barely manage an academic profile like that, much less run a school system that way. These people literally wasted the entire summer doing nothing. They did nothing, nothing the entire summer, and now we're cursed with their failure. And we're gonna have to figure out a way, a to to jettison some of the dead weight over at the Fayette County Public School Board, including the the superintendent, who I believe needs to go. He may be a fine person. He may be he may be a great peacetime conciliary, he, he, <laughs> not a he, wartime conciliary. He ain't a war. He ain't a wartime conciliary. We need somebody who's 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 motivated to actually take action and who's got some balls on him, who's willing to stand up and say, "Listen." This is what we're gonna and, and, and listen. If he were to, is if this he, where you say you want to bring in Jim Host to run it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that, it, isn't that like the de facto here in Kentucky for anything that goes south? Call Jim Host, get him to run it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's just it's <laughs> there, there's just no action there. There's there, there's nothing. There's nothing. We we it sucks, we, man. We deserve better. We deserve better taxpayers deserve, even if you don't have kids, your taxes are paying for this failure. Let's let's on something too. We all agree that there's certain teachers that just like any other businesses out there right now that, that that aren't They are not appropriate to go back in the classroom. There's certain things they shouldn't be doing that are high risk factors, but man, it just seems like there's a way at this point. And, and, and again, Tom, there's options for that. Guess what? We're not the only state dealing with the coronavirus, nor are we Wait, the only what? school system that we're dealing with the coronavirus. Other states have done this and have done it successfully. You know, there are I don't know if they're trying to reinvent the wheel. I don't know if this is like at the beginning of the coronavirus. where Donald Trump said, we're not we're not going to use any of these tests that have been developed in any, in any other countries. We're going to wait to develop our own and only use that one. You know, I don't know if that's the same attitude that they're taking here that, well, we're, we're special and unique flowers. We, we can't possibly use the hybrid or, or in, in-person systems being used in, in Tennessee or New York City or, or Missouri or whatever. You know, I don't know if they're if that's the attitude. All I know is they have been lazy. They did not do work during the summer. They did not do work during August and they have failed to adjust and to rise to the, to the challenge. Trey Watson, a vote for change. <laughs> this could be awesome. I, I actually got to get me. So that reform daddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think how, what would be the best way to utilize my unique skill set in your campaign efforts. I'm going to have to give this some thought and get back to you. Who could we sue? That's the question. Strategic consulting <laughs> capacity. 
election day operations. Probably crisis management, actually. Some sort of crisis communications levels, probably. I'm sure there'd be plenty. <laughs> you know, honestly, if you, with that, if, if the goal was sort of a none of the above type campaign and you use this as an opportunity just to draw attention to things that I, I don't think get the media coverage that they should. I talked about, um, yeah, this was some things that, you know, Bevan talked about, but like, you know, what, what is the average salary of administrative staff at, at Fayette County Public Schools. You know what? Some of the things I've, I've had concerns about were there were government programs I was involved with at Fayette County had sort of made deliberate decisions to do things that certainly struck me as counterintuitive. We've had the issues of late with, uh, uh, you know, the security apparatus and creating this whole, the, the process for, um, you know, safe schools. You know, who's running the magnetometers at the front desk? You know, is that is that the appropriate role of, of teachers? really to be there. And I don't know. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that could be fun to uh, look into. A lot, of, a lot of open record requests. That's for sure. Probably <laughs> a very different review process for open record requests today. I would think as well. <laughs> Probably. I'm sorry. What, what's the, what's the agency that reviews open record requests in Kentucky, Trey? Uh, I believe that would be the, uh, the office of the attorney general. I believe it is. I believe it is. <laughs> Might have a different opinion on some of these open records requests versus uh, some of the ones that I was sending in back in 2017. Uh, well, Tom, I think that's what we've got for the day, unless you got anything else on, on your plate that you, uh, you want to get off your chest. Nah, I'm, I'm going to go uh, run around in the Poison Ivy again at one of my rentals. Uh, that, are you enjoying the, the vacay down there? We are. Uh, if you've never been down to Highlands, North Carolina, it's a beautiful place, small town, way up in the mountains. Um, but it's a... Uh, it's 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 neat and, and you know the interesting thing is from from here it's uh like 12 miles to georgia and about 10 miles to south carolina so you're right down at the, at the nexus of a couple of states down here uh, that sounds pretty nice uh well thanks thank you as always for joining us on kentucky politics weekly uh if you uh you can follow us wherever you you stream podcasts if you get us on apple Podcasts, please be sure to give us a review and uh tom coming up here uh next week we're, we're kind of the home stretch of the elections so we'll have some election preview shows and kind of uh get get you ready for what to expect on election night yeah it'll be a lot of fun i've been looking at some of the races there's some some real barn burners here that i think could be fun to talk about uh over in Frankfurt, that Senate race is really, that's a wild one. Um, so, so, Jefferson County Soil and Water Commission. I mean, that's going to be, <laughs> there's, there's, some, there's some great races to take a look at. That will be fun. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be back with you next week on another Kentucky Politics Weekly.